Lab Session. This is Patrick Lillis, and glad you're here, glad you're listening, glad you're doing well. I hope everybody's good and healthy and uh, excited that it is March, uh, February, you know, shortest in days, but felt the longest, and grateful that we can, you know, start to venture out a little more. Yeah, coming up on a year of this insanity, and, you know, thinking about the year, I think I'm really proud of you know, every, well, I'm proud that we're still here and I'm proud that we kept going and that, uh, you know, a lot of, I was talking to somebody today, a lot of our community, everybody kept making work. Some people thrived in creating new work, other people, you know, acting in a lot of readings, figuring out audio plays. Um, I just did my solo show on Zoom for Valdez Theater Conference. And if you haven't checked it out, it'll be up for the rest of this week on their theaterconference.org website. I'm proud of that. And I saw the college collab uh, at Center College, Leah Romeo's play, Greek Tragedy, and it was amazing what they did with um, OBS. They took Zoom and virtual theater to a whole nother level, really uh, fading the screens and changing the size of it and backdrops and in live performance with video. And I think I was really proud of that. And if next it goes to Wells and they're going to do that production live. So it really... You can feel the effects of the year, like we're we're showing up and we're getting better at virtual and starting to want to get to the personal and in person. I think about that. I think my calendar. I think I've said this before. Is about as full as it has ever been uh, through March, and then I think it slows down because people are a little cautious. Like, are we going to do outdoor theater? Are we going to do it in person? Are we still online? I really just want to go outside and see people. I'm excited. You know, when we get to April things don't pick up, I'll just go to Yankee games. I'm excited to be able to do that. I'm going to be able to do that because I'm getting a vaccine on Tuesday, the first shot. So that's good. I hope everybody can get it soon so everybody can feel safe to walk around. But really just proud. You know, we've made it a year. I think not quite not quite a year, but it's getting there. And um, just grateful you're up, you know, that we're all still doing it. I, I had the benefit to somebody I met uh Franz Luce Benson, playwright, uh, I met because of the pandemic. She is community engaged. She's a playwright uh, who turns out we travel in the same circles a lot. We know a lot of similar people we just hadn't met. She's out in L.A. She's community engagement person for the Fountain Theater. Actually, part of the reason I did my solo show for Valdez is because I got introduced by Micheline Hager, our one of our college collaboration playwrights. She said, oh, you'd be great. She'd be good for your pod. She's on the pod this week, um, and you'd be good for hers and for their show and community engagement. And that's where I did my first 20 minutes of the solo show and got me re-inspired to do it, especially during the pandemic when I think the conversation of mental health is important. So it was great that we were able to connect. And, you know, it's funny, I don't know if we would have done community engagement online. You know, they were very active community engagement in real person out there. But so there have been some benefits that we've you know, we've all gotten to connect with different communities that we don't might not have otherwise because of the virtual. Um, I think I told talked about this before. I did a workshop with a theater company in Mississippi of a new play, and I'm starting rehearsal this week on a Julia Brothers play that's going to be in the San Francisco Playhouse, and we're going to start rehearsals virtually and uh, and then go out. It's very funny, bookending my experience. I started the pandemic doing Boy Spirit at Shenandoah University, and we shut down and went online. And at the end of the year, we're rehearsing virtually, and then we're going to go to the theater to tech it fully and put it up in the theater and shoot it like live television. So it'll still be presented virtually, but at least we'll be back in the theater, which makes me gives me hope for the end of the year, that uh, capping the year of the pandemic of finishing in the theater gives me hope that someday soon we'll all be back working in that environment. Yeah, I'm excited to share the conversation with you with Franz Luce. It was great. One of the things she talked about is this feeling of community. I know I talk about, I mean, she does community engagement. We just talked about community of artists and that we're all in it. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're an early career artist or experienced artist, you're, you're in the community, you're in it. And I think we forget, especially when we're isolated, we forget that we are connected and we're all you know, we're all in it because we're, we're, we're striving for something, excellence, and, and to make something and create and the personal. And just wanted to remind, it was a good reminder for me that like where the strength is, is to remember that we're not alone. And 
in a period of isolation and, a, and of the pandemic and being shut in and not meeting in person, it can feel like you're you're disconnected. And I just want to remind everybody that we're all in it together. And to keep, you know, emailing and letting letting me know what you're doing, Patrick at the farm.org, easy to find. And yeah, would love to know, you know, what you're working on, what you're doing, what you're hoping your next step is, what you think you need. And um, you'll get to hear how Franz Luz took her next step. And uh, and I'm sure after this, if you don't already know of her work, you'll see her name uh, in a lot of places, as I have since we met in the fall. So with that, enjoy the conversation and play ball. I mean, I, I started rehearsals for something on the 3rd of January. Um, so that like during the holidays, we were casting and I was doing rewrites and then we started rehearsals right away. And that's um, this thing that I'm doing with Atlantic that's this week. Um, and then I'm doing something with Juggernaut Theater and we just started rehearsals on Monday. Um, and then I have another commission for something that's being recorded in April. It's crazy. It, yeah. It's yeah, crazy. And it, the Atlantic thing goes up tomorrow. I mean, it's funny. This will, the podcast will drop after the effect, but it, but whatever. It drops. <laughs> it goes up tomorrow. Is how the Atlantic come about for you? How that opportunity of the festival? I like everything else for me in this industry in my career. I almost like I don't know, but honestly, uh, they've they've been reading my work for a while. I met Abigail Katz um, several years ago at a conference and, you know, we developed a relationship and they've read a few of my plays. This particular play, I think my agent sent it to them a year ago. I don't even remember. <laughs> Sometimes I just forget because um, oftentimes I don't hear anything back um, or it's a long time. So they just, out of the blue, it felt like, uh, although I, I, I know that they had the play, but we ha didn't have any conversations about it. I'd never heard any feedback. And then um, they reached out to me in, I think it was October, November, asking if, if I'd like to be a part of this. So it was a very pleasant surprise. Nice. Yeah, that's a good, it's good. And did you know... Uh, Awoye before this? I did. Um, so this play is the second in a trilogy and she directed the first play. Um, I was part of the New Black Fest at the Lark. Uh, I think that was in 2018 and she directed it and that was my first time working with her and she's fantastic. I don't know if you know her. <laughs> I do. She's great. She's great. Yeah. Uh, I was happy to see that and I was curious where that relationship started and you know did it, it started at the Lark I'm guessing. Um, yeah. And then did you because she did part one when they said we're interested in the play you suggested her. And yes. <laughs> yeah. I, and and this is a trilogy. Um, is part three written? Part three is not finished <laughs> and actually I started writing part three uh in 2019 while I was in residency but I have since decided to like completely change the idea that I had for part three so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm kind of starting back from page one again uh, yeah, well, what what inspired the change? Was it just the process of writing it, or is it the process of the world changing? That's a, small a little question. bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. I started writing part three. I had a concept of it as an immersive piece, and which in some way uh, it would seem like in this new world that, that, that we're in, an immersive piece would, would be maybe more practical, but it doesn't seem like the, the idea that I had seems not of the moment anymore. Uh, and I also just in working on part two in this last month, I've made some discoveries and, and you know, I've had a couple like light bulb moments where I have a better sense, a clearer sense of what I want the, the culmination of this story to be, um, which is not 
it's it doesn't need to be immersive and it, and it really is focused on um it's actually focused on economics um which i think is also just part of enduring last year <laughs> to, a lot of what's come up for me and, and theater and people that I know and just, you know, I've been thinking a lot about economics and finances and, um, you know, what it means to be broke <laughs> and also what it means to, to prosper. And, and, and um, when I think about the legacy of the Haitian revolution, uh, that is a lot of what I think about is the toll, the the price that Haiti had to pay economically. Yeah, and because I, I know that's what the trilogy is about. I know you write about that. Well, it seems like a lot. I don't want to, you know, from what I know, looking around and reading a little bit. And when you're thinking about writing the final chapter of the trilogy and what that means, but how does that connect to today? How do you think it connects to today when you think about survival, being an artist, broke, what that means? versus the price that was paid by a country. I'm just curious how it resonates with you. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a really loaded, <laughs> it's very loaded. And uh, so I'm gonna try to be coherent, but I mean, one thing that came to me over the last year was, you know, the world, the entire world was experiencing this together. You know, it wasn't just about what was happening here in America and, Cal you know, like it was extraordinary to be experiencing something with the entire world. And so I thought more and more about the intersections of, of, of all of these countries and, um, and how connected we are. And so much of the Haitian Revolution, which is why I wanted to tell the story, it impacted the world in so many ways. It, it changed the course of history in America, in France, in Great Britain, in, you know, and, and ultimately in all of the colonized countries. You know, it, it had this ripple effect and so that's one of that's one of the things for me that resonates is how this this movement this 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 incredible act of heroism and activism that these people on this island um victoriously and triumphantly over undertook like how it just had this incredible ripple effect around the world um and unfortunately, you know, it, it had a lot of negative consequences to the people of Haiti, but it really, you know, so in that way, I, I don't know if, if I'm making sense, like that, that's what resonates with me is how one action um, impacts so many lives around us for, for generations. Um, so, so that's, yeah. I love it because I actually, when you also just putting in context of what we're all going through and have been going through for 11 months, we are literally all going through, meaning globally. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and what comes out of this is how it is treated, how people are treated, how we care for each other, how we don't, all of that is going mm -hmm. to have a ripple effect for everyone. And I think mm -hmm. that, that alone is interesting. And then I was curious, uh, when you're feeling the, you know, obviously a small band of activism is vitally important because that is how change happens. And that is the only way change happens. And mm -hmm. I also like that you say, you know, that the country, they had a cost to that activism, but it had a tremendous impact. And I think that is true for all of us that are, you know, yeah. the people who do, do stand up and take action we all there's a great benefit that happens i mean we're joking that the world is better this week than last week because of our subtle regime change um, uh, and, and yeah and also i mean we are this country definitely i mean we are having a long overdue reckoning with um racial injustice in this country and 
the legacy of an enslavement in this country. And so, um, yeah, for me, like, this is the time to tell that story. And it's amazing, like, working on the play. I, I just, and even um, when we were in rehearsals and I'm watching, it's just amazing um, how the the rebels, how they were able to imagine what was possible, even though there was no there was nothing that they could refer to. There, w there had never been a, a successful insurrection, slave insurrection like that, um, that they were really able to imagine what was possible. So, you know, what's happening here in this country, you know, people get so panicky about, you know, when we say defund the police, it's like they can't imagine. It's like that people's imaginations are so limited as to what could be possible. Um, in the name of justice, so yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit. I think they can, and that terrifies them. It's easier to fight a slogan than it is to actually go for the solution, because the, the yeah. people who are fighting the slogan know that they lose a they lose a yeah. system that is benefiting them, and they don't understand that benefiting all is going to benefit them. Yeah. Slogan just <laughs> fear. <laughs> But you're right, because they fund the precinct. I'm starting to, you're, I think I think I read about it from my hometown in Rochester, what that looks like when they call a social worker versus when they call the police. And they just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's so much better. You know? Yeah, yeah. And the idea absolutely. that should be able to move past that. And, and just a willingness to acknowledge that the system that we, that exists now is, is broken and is, um, and and was founded in in racism and white supremacy. Um, yeah, and you know, just last summer, witnessing the uprising, being a part of it, um, and and even in in our industry, you know, um, we see you, white American theater. You know, something. You know, th these great acts of um, rebellion just <laughs> uh, makes me proud to to be Haitian, you know, to have to come where I come from and and um so that those that's where I, I see a lot of where it resonates to the moment that we're in today. And yeah, and when you started writing, did you start to write with a connection to a Haitian identity? Did you understand the importance of that when you started writing? What brought you to playwriting? I could start at that simple place. Yeah. Yeah, I uh Def, I've always wanted to write the story of the Haitian Revolution. I was intimidated because it's it's a huge story. <laughs> um, but uh, I, yeah, I'm incredibly connected um, to my identity as a Haitian American. A, a lot of my work um, is from that perspective as a first generation American. And what brought me to playwriting, I started as an actor and, and then started writing and in uh, undergrad is where I really started to uh, explore um, playwriting. And, uh, you know, when I started writing plays, I was writing like generic stories about <laughs> angst, and, you know. Um, and serious undergraduate theme. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the first full-length play I wrote was... Um, was the first time I wrote uh, from my identity as, as a Haitian American. And I, uh, I, was, I was an actor, I was in a theater program as an actor and our senior project, we were supposed to write a, a one person show for, for and perform it. And I started writing about Michelle Duvalier, who was the wife of, uh, baby Doc, the dictator in Haiti, and you know she was just this fabulous, <laughs> over the top um, character. But the more that I researched uh, the history of the dictatorship and the history of politics in Haiti, and and I wanted to incorporate uh, music and dance, I there was this other story that felt that I, I just felt compelled to write, and it was a full length play and my professors approved me to do that. And that's where I feel like I found my voice as a playwright. And I felt really driven to tell our stories because they weren't being told and to correct 
so much of the revisionist history. Um, and I mean, I grew up in Miami and I grew up in Miami during a time where there was a lot of uh, xenophobia um, directed towards uh, the Haitian community. And so I just felt really driven to push back against that as an artist. And, and that's really what has informed my work throughout my career. Um, so it was inevitable that I was gonna write this story. It was just a matter of when I felt like <laughs> I could do it. And, but the, the playwright it came, but the playwright it came out of the assignment, right? Of the, of the senior year thing, because otherwise, yeah. otherwise you would have acted in somebody else's plays. And exactly, exactly. And out the stories that were more connected to you and important to you, but then creating one. And I also thought it was interesting when you were saying that, that through the research, you discovered these other aspects of what you wanted to say and talk about. And I think that's interesting to me, because then you, like not only did you find your voice, but you found it through doing the work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was amazing because I went down this rabbit hole. You know, I was, you know, I, I I was researching the dictatorship, and when I read about Francois Duvalier, who was the 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 father, the first dictator, um, he one of his methods of intimidating the country was. He had this whole persona that was like Baal Samzi, who is who is Aloha. He's he's one of the deities, and he's one of he's like a malevolent deity. And he would kind of sort of dress like him, and so that set me down a rabbit hole. And this was before internet, actually, by the way. But that set me down a rabbit hole of like uh, learning about all the voodoo deities, and and then that let me you know led me to a lot of Haitian art a lot of the paintings that de depict these deities and the music and it just like really I uncovered this whole world that was so rich like for an artist it's like why are people not writing about this it's like amazing yeah <laughs> I also love that it was before the internet because I'm gonna I was like yeah thank the the research part is so when you said the rabbit hole I'm like I've written whole plays because I had one idea and yeah. then, then you go dive deep down into the research and you're like, oh, that's where that idea lives. That's exciting. Yeah. I really want to know, like, did, when did you say, oh, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to pursue this. And and did you go, because I know you went to Carnegie Mellon. I don't know if you went out of undergrad and I didn't know if it was after a little while. Yeah, I went to Carnegie Mellon uh, for grad school. I had been living in New York for a few years and then decided I wanted to go to grad school. Um, I always knew I wanted to live in New York. Um, I started doing theater when I was about 12. I went to a performing arts school for theater, and then I did this whole track. I went to a performing arts middle school and then a performing arts high school, and um, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I had relatives in New York, we, so we spent a lot of summers in New York, and I loved it, and I, I never saw myself living anywhere else. I couldn't wait to move to New York. Like. Um, and you know doing theater that's what everybody did that's you know our teachers and everybody was like you got to go to new york and that was where everything was so there was never a question in my mind that i was going to move to new york i don't know what i what was it that made you say you know grad school what was happening with you prior to that oh a lot <laughs> well as an artist i was leaning more into playwriting. I, you know, I, I moved to New York as an actor writer. I was doing both and I was just getting less and less interested in acting, really less and less interested in auditioning. That's really what I was not interested in at all. I, I miss acting actually, but um, I just hated auditioning. I hated that I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't do my craft unless I got a job and that wasn't the case with writing um and I I just was getting opportunities as a playwright that I wasn't getting as an actor and it, it just felt natural but I I felt like I, I wasn't really formally trained as a playwright and I wanted to learn the craft like I, I spent a lot of years learning the craft of acting, but I, but not as not playwriting, and I and I really wanted to do that. Um, and then um, 
the other piece is I was, you know, I was a little bit wild in my 20s. <laughs> Um, lacked a bit of focus and was getting into all kinds of trouble. And um, when I, 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 I was uh, in my late 20s, I think, when I decided I wanted to go to grad school and I, and I felt like I, I was ready to focus and I wanted to leave New York and not be distracted. And so that was part of the decision as well. Yeah. And it, and it really did help me. No, that's what it, yeah, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask is because I think the I think the decision and the realization of knowing like why you're going to grad school, like what you need and making the choice to get off of where you're at. Because sometimes you can be yeah. in a great community. You can be in your twenties and having a little fun and trouble and still feel like I'm moving forward because I'm in this group, but I want to do something else. And just knowing I'm interested in the idea that you rec recognizing like, oh, I'm, I'm self-trained. I probably, I probably need a structure of, you know, I'm not self-trained as an actor. I am self-trained yeah. as a writer. And I think that's great to recognize that. Yeah. It's humbling. I mean, for me, it was humbling because I, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I knew I had raw talent and, and it was reflected back to me. People could see it, but like, you know, I'd get into, I'd have opportunities for readings and workshops. And I think that was when I really, like the first time that I had to play like workshops, probably I was in a work and I, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to rewrite. I didn't know how to, how to really use that opportunity. And I just felt like I need help. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so th that's, I was very honest with myself and it was a bit humbling, but I, but I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn. That's great. Yeah. I think not, no, you know, it's pretty impressive. Like things are happening and going, I don't know what I'm yeah, doing. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what's next. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I got this far. Yeah. And that's pretty great. And when you, what did grad, what did the immersion do for you? Besides teaching, I think the foundational and just the experience of being a writer for Carnegie Mellon's three years, right? It's uh, it's two, two, two years. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's just nice to be immersed in that environment. Yeah. But when you came out of that experience, what did you feel like, oh, this is what I have. This is what I have that I didn't have before. I developed a really strong muscle for just getting the work done because there was so much. I mean, our, our first semester, I, I remember... <laughs> um, a lot of anxiety, but, uh, you know, we had to write a full-length play, a one-act play, a teleplay, um, and a and the first draft of a feature-length screenplay in, in our first semester. And <laughs> so I learned how to, I learned how to get the work done. I didn't know or think that I could do it, but I, I learned how to, how to, I just exercised that muscle. So that was one of the greatest things I got out of it. And, um, and a lot of, like I learned how to, how to navigate my career in a way that I, I didn't know how to do. Um, I felt that I, I just had better tools at, at nurturing professional relationships. Um, and, you know, being at Carnegie Mellon did expose me uh, to, to, institutions and, and artists that it might have taken me longer to do that. Um, you know, it kind of put me in a different neighborhood professionally, for sure. Um, and I left with a lot more confidence. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I won a few awards um, while at Carnegie Mellon. And then I, you know, I had my first you know, opportunity as a playwright in Chicago, like right out of grad school, you know, I, I just, I had confidence. I felt like, okay, I, I, I think I could do this. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I really want to talk about, th that's something I think that's really important because is the navigating relationships. And when you said you got a better idea of how to navigate or nurture, nurture is probably a better word, professional relationships. What does that mean to you? Because I think, I think that's that is a skill, right? If you're gonna you're gonna have the confidence, you're gonna you've got the tools, and then it's like, well, what do I 
you know, it works through relationships. That's how we get yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Uh, one thing is, and I, I mean, it actually took me a little bit longer than my time in grad school to learn this, but I, but I started learning it is, um, you know, rejection is difficult. And I, and I used to, if, if I was rejected from a, a company, say that, that was interested in a play and I thought maybe they, they might do it and then they didn't, I would tend to think, okay, well, that's the end of that. And, you know, but that's just the beginning of the relationship, you know, that, okay, they've read my work, they're interested in me as an artist. And so I, it's up to me to continue to nurture that relationship and let them know what I'm working on next. And, you know, I used to just kind of run away like a <laughs> wounded dog because they didn't want to do my play. And, um, and I think there's a relationship to the being able to to produce the work to have the work to then when i would meet people to be able to have work ready to, to you know, that's something that i it seems like so obvious but uh i didn't always i don't know i just didn't put that together i, I would you know meet people and who'd be interested and give me their card and and then I would just kind of wait for something to happen whereas you know like I just learned how to be proactive about things and proactive about um sharing my work or sending work out or just being ready you know I think being ready is true and also the thing about generating product like you said it that muscle because the very first play I wrote, I remember having a meeting, that exact same thing. Persons, they read it and we're having a meeting. That was, that's success. Yeah. But then I thought when they said, you know, hey, we'd love to, you know, read your next play or whatever. You know, when in my head, I'm like, took me a year <laughs> <laughs> to write that last play. You're not going to talk to me for a year? And I, I was too young. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have enough product and I didn't know how to stay in contact just to even say yeah. here's what I'm thinking about you know yeah so I think yeah totally identified with that and it is that tool of like not only to have more work but also just to stay engaged they uh, that that level of interest even though it didn't result in workshop production is genuine yeah yeah and also um having a having a community of writers which again seems so obvious and i you know i had done writing groups before but understanding that it it, it really is up to me to create a support system to 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 build community a community of writers um to, to navigate our my career with that that I don't have to do this alone I don't have to be like this lone wolf you know? <laughs> like and that was important um that was something that I got from being in grad school and you're cultivating I mean yeah the grad school introduced you people but you're cultivating your own not it doesn't necessarily mean being in the lark writing group which is great but yeah. you're talking about cultivating your own community. absolutely just yeah just uh you know that I could go to see a play by a playwright I don't know. And if I was really moved and, and, and impressed, like I could like reach out to them because I think playwrights like to hear compliments about their work. <laughs> and and I could develop relationships that way. I don't, I don't have to wait for an institution to create some kind of a group that I would then join. Like I could start to build relationships with artists that I admire and appreciate and um yeah no i think it's great because yeah especially now it's so it's people are accessible and you're right they yeah they nobody doesn't want to hear i liked your play <laughs> exactly <laughs> and if they're you know and if you share i'm a writer too maybe they'll reach back um which is which is good you you said you had a production that happened in chicago right after that is um where did you go? Did you come back to New York? I know it's funny. I'm, yeah. Did you come back to New York after Carnegie Mellon? I did. I did. Yeah. I'm What I'm really curious about because I feel like we. I loved being on your show. 
because it helped me. I did my show of 20 minutes of it there, and now I'm doing it a bunch of times because that inspired me to get back onto doing it. Um, and the community engagement at the fountain. And I'm curious because we have a, we, I discovered that we have a lot of people in common and we hadn't met. Um, I was curious what brought you to LA. <laughs> <laughs> the lore of, of television. <laughs> I, I actually had a play produced at a, a university here, did one of my plays and flew me out. And then I, and while I was here, I met my, my agents who, my television agents here. And um, for about a year, I was just coming back and forth and doing meetings and more and more playwrights were moving out here. So more and more of my friends, my playwright friends were, had moved out here and were telling me how great it is. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's really why I moved is to pursue TV. And I, and I also was ready, I, you know, I had some, personal things happen where I was, I, I felt like I, I needed kind of a big change. So it felt like the right time. Yeah. And I think it's something about being that, right, if you want to pursue TV, if you want to pursue that writing, it's being in the location where that's happening as opposed to, it's funny, I think I know a lot of people who do that period of flying out there, <laughs> you know, and then they have to make a decision if they're going to commit to being in the geography or not. Yeah, yeah. Which, but and it's ironic now though, because now it doesn't even really matter. <laughs> that you have this relationship with the theater, with the fountain, and how did that start? Did uh, they... St yeah, Stephen Sachs, the artistic director, and I share an agent, and she sort of introduced us. And when we met, uh, you know, he'd read uh, one of my plays, and but then he just was. He talked to me about the work that they do, which is really impressive. And um, and I think the thing that really interested me, they have this program, Walking the Beat. It's an arts education program where uh, high school students uh, and police officers do this, I think it's a nine week intensive um, together and, and create a piece of theater together. and. The goal is to improve communication um, between uh, youth of color and law enforcement and to start to um, kind of dismantle the, the distrust amongst law enforcement um, and young people of color. And then that, so when he told me about that program, I just was so interested in what this company was doing and I, you know, told him about my background as an arts educator and just as an artist. And, uh, and then he called me out of the blue. I mean, several months later, they, they were developing this position. Um, and he asked if I would be interested and it was just perfect timing uh, for me. And uh, that's how that kind of came to be. And that position was community engagement. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which I think is, yeah. Yeah, I just love that. And I know that it shifted what community engagement means during a pandemic and isolation instead. <laughs> but just that idea, because that program is perfect community engagement. You know, it's, it's a great idea for how to utilize theater. And, yeah. um, I have to ask, because it's now twice that I've heard this, how'd you get an agent? Because you said my agent introduced <laughs> me and I, my agent sent the play to Atlantic. I, you know, I tried for so many years and was sending things out but when i finally um signed with my theater agent i i was at a conference i was at um city theater in miami I had this they do this uh, yearly conference uh that's connected to the uh, uh festival that they produce each year and i had a play in the festival that year and i was a panelist at the conference and the artistic director, Susie Westfall, introduced us. Uh, there were a few agents there because there was one of the panels was about how to get an agent. <laughs> there were all these agents there. <laughs> but that's how I met um, my current agent. I met her there. And uh, so, I mean, I mean, if this is for people who are listening, I think it's more about showing up and being visible. You know, I mean, I, I was at that conference. I said, yes, I showed up we were introduced uh 
I had material ready, <laughs> you know, to send her, and and that's how it happened. And, um, and did you, when you sent the material, you had a conversation, obviously, you had something where you're like, oh, she thinks I feel good, I think they feel good. Yeah, yeah, we, I mean, it was fortunate that we were at this conference because we were able to, uh, we, we had coffee and I, th I think we might have had lunch while we were, you know, away because we were out of town and there was plenty of time for us to, to meet. Uh, and yeah, we hit it off. Um, I had a good feeling about her and she seemed to to understand my work and wanted to work with me. And, and I did, uh, I knew a couple of people who she represented who I, I was able to speak to. Um, who had good things to say about her. And so it, it just, it worked out, but I mean, it took a long, I mean, I, I for years I wanted an agent and couldn't figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's always a mystery, right? Because when somebody says that once you have one and that relationship is set, then it seems like there's a whole, it seems natural, right? Like doesn't, nobody's always a hundred percent happy and we're not going to have to unpack that. Yeah. yeah. But, but before that relationship is formed, it seems like mysterious. You know? It does. It does. I think uh, I think the showing up is funny that right now, can't deny the pandemic part of it is, yeah, being in the room with people is so important because there are conferences, you know, everything that's happening virtually is different than getting lunch. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, that's one, I mean, I miss so many things about live theater. And one of them also is, you know, like, especially in New York, I mean, when you go to the theater, you run into people. And there are so many opportunities that I've gotten just from being at a show and running into somebody and they said, oh, what are you up to? And I'm doing this and we should get lunch. And, and that can't happen in virtual theater. And it's so unfortunate. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's interesting you said it because that was one of the reasons with The Atlantic. I thought, oh, how did that happen? Because it is so hard to stay that, that opportunity, that, that randomness, like you said at the conference, like the randomness of the lobby. It is that, and it's random, you know, it's, I also think it's when you think about casting a play, you know, yeah. if you run into somebody, all of a sudden they're in front of mind, right? Boom. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Which is why we all say it's important to go places and show up and talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm missing that part. What do you think, I feel like you, it's very funny from my perception, and I've now, is that you, since since we were introduced by Micheline, um, I all of a sudden have this awareness of you and your work and where you, what, you know, you're showing up in the community and places that I see through social media and things like that, where I'm like, wow, how come I didn't know that before? What do you think was the event? Or, or the play, and we may have already talked about it, it may have been agent, may have been grad school, that got you to whatever the next level is for you. There's always another level that we want to get to, but what do you think it was that happened and that got you to a level of a place where you went, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to be in this game for a while. I know it's going to happen. Yeah, it, that's such a hard question because, well, number one, I... I probably like many artists feel like it's over. <laughs> like every day, like, I love it. Over. I'm in rehearsal for three projects. One of them opens <laughs> in two days, but I'm done. I've quit. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> I mean, there, there've been a series of things. I feel like it's been in phases, you know, um, going to graduate school, absolutely um, changed things. Uh, like I said, it, it just put me in a, in a different neighborhood. I, I, it accelerated things. I, you know, I think it would have taken a lot longer, you know, if this is, if this was all destined to be, it just would have taken a lot longer. Um, so going to grad school is really important. And then I, I don't know, it's so hard to point to one thing, but I feel like when I, um, was awarded the, the Dramatist Guild Fellowship, that really felt pivotal, pivotal. Like I, I, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's prestigious. And I was already a member of the Dramatist Guild, but I started to really, you know, become part of, of, I felt part of the community in a way that I hadn't. And 
and again, just met a lot of people through that fellowship. Um, Keith Joseph Atkins was my mentor and has been such a big part of my career and my life. I mean, that, so that was kind of life-changing. So I, I would, if I had to point to one thing, I, I think the, the Dramatist Guild Fellowship really um, and the fellowship no. that you applied for that, or does that get you? You apply for it, yeah, yeah. And once getting it, you felt more in, because the program, the fellowship, invites you into it, right? So it's not only so that's why you felt more part of the community, right? Because all of a sudden there's a purpose to show up. Yeah, and I, you know, I was meeting people. You know, I think the the dramatist guild was just this thing. <laughs> I I rarely went to the bill. You know, I I didn't really know a, a lot of the uh, people who run who who, who run the dramatist guild who um, are the engines behind a lot of what they do. And and so you know, just meeting people like Terry Stratton and um, Tessa. Um, and 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 getting a, a deeper understanding of of what the dramatist guild does um and then yeah knowing that they were there for me in in a way that i don't know i hadn't connected with me before um yeah, yeah and i and that feeling like an active member in a community of working writers yeah and you know it's interesting even if they're not working like they're not being actively produced this season or whatever they're all working to work. Yes. You know, yeah. And that's the community. You, you all <clears throat> see yourself differently because you're like, oh, right. <laughs> I'm not outside that circle. I'm in the middle of that circle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think it's very Absolutely. easy, very easy for all of us to think we're outside of the circle, you know, not being aware that like there's a, there's a long history that we're all in it. We're just yeah. in different phases of the process. Yeah. I think that is great. And now when you go to work, it's interesting when you were saying like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing in the in that first workshop. You know, I didn't know what my job was. And now you went to a workshop and you re-envisioned the entire third part of your trilogy. What what do you think you carry with you today that you didn't carry with you? What do you think you carry into the room? And this can be any room. I was just putting it in the workshop, but it could be any room. It can be uh conferences or meetings or as a writer sitting down to work what do you think you carry with you that you didn't when you were just starting out then uh well i mean the, the obvious thing is just experience you know um which gives me confidence even when i'm not always feeling confident i know i have the evidence well i know what i'm doing i've done this before you know and successfully and um and I know what works and what doesn't work. I know what I need as a playwright. Um, I know what I need, you know, when a, when a play is in development, I, I know what I need. I have a better sense of what I need from a director, from my actors. Uh, yeah, just just lots of experience to to help me and 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 confidence and. Uh, and not just confidence, um, you know, that I could write a good play, because I don't know if I have that confidence yet, but... History every time. Um, but confidence in that uh, I can speak up. I can, you know, I can say, like, this is what my intention is, and this is what I need, or this is this is not working for me, that, that it's that at the end of the day, like it's, it's, it's my work and it's, and it's my vision and it's a collaboration definitely, but I, I have every right to speak up and I, I don't know that I, I just didn't have the confidence to do that before. And I don't think I had the emotional maturity to know how to, to negotiate things in a room. Um, and like you said, with any relationship <laughs> without like it, either screaming or being passive, you know, that I could just say, this is how I feel and this is what I need and what can we do about it? You know, um, can we talk about this? Or that I could say like, can I think about that? Like, I didn't know that I could <laughs> say that. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of maturity, a lot of confidence, experience. And when you say need, it's interesting because when you first said, oh, what I need, needing because it's your story and this is what I need to see or this is what I need to try, it's different than also what do you need when you think about here's the next step of my play. You also, right, there's also an awareness of like, what is this play? I'm going to a workshop. I don't need a reading just to hear it to see if I can sell it to your subscribers. I need yeah, <laughs> this many hours in a room to explore this, right? That's Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I know when I need to, you know, that's a, that's a great point. Like, I know when I've, I've heard this, I need to work with it up on its feet. I need, uh, yeah, I, I have a better sense of like knowing what stage of development my plays are in and, and what I might need to um, get it to the next level um, to hopefully be produced. And yeah. Um, when you say that to a theater, I would imagine they're responsive. In a way, you know, I think it's surprise. No, I mean it. I, I know just to say nobody's going to just produce plays. It's never that easy, right? But when you talk about what you need and where you're at, they're probably happy to hear that versus because you have clarity about what the next step is. Um, yeah. You know, that makes for a better partnership than, you know, <laughs> I'll take whatever you give me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, which is where I think a lot of, you know, you're starting out, you're entering that way, somehow losing track of the fact of this is, we're all working towards the shared purpose of like, how can we make the play as good as possible? Yeah, yeah. Or at least my idealistic self thinks that that's our shared purpose. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, and there are opportunities that I've applied for that, that ask you specifically, like, why do you want this? What are you going to do with our time? So... <laughs> That helps um, having to um, figure that out that and that's helped me to learn how to how to figure that out like honestly to not just write I just want <laughs> to to be part of it all like but to be specific about um, really how I'm gonna use the time um, yeah and be specific and for me it's funny I'm hearing it going and be specific because it's important that because if you get that opportunity they might hold you to that and be specific yeah. that it's actually what you want and not what sounded good. Right, <laughs> right. So all of a sudden you're in a room going, I don't need this. What am I doing? I got a grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. And um, as I'm being respectful of time, what, what um, do you have any advice for anyone who's starting out on this journey? Doesn't It's funny, I like the advice thing. I like to think of it as, early career, but it does not mean early in age. It can be wherever they are in that process True. waiting to be, you know, to get to whatever next level is for them. True. Uh, you know, write every day, uh, no matter what. Um, that's really important to build that muscle. And, and again, you know, you have to, you have to actually do the thing. I <laughs> think and uh and i think the the relationship piece is important you know um you know like we talked about earlier a rejection doesn't mean the end of a relationship it often can mean the, the beginning of a relationship you know you can choose um to nurture those relationships and and uh this is i'm i'm stealing this from something i read once, but uh, how important it is to submit your work because every time you submit your work, um, there's usually several people who are going to read your work and know your name and know who you are, and and it's so important to to submit. Um, so I think that's really important. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great actually because we think about. It, I thought about it for actors. I remember you're like you're not going to get your first audition. You know, but the more you're in the room and the more people start to see you and the more they start to talk about you to other people. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same. You're right. Because if you're applying for something, at least let's hope one person, but let's two people have read it. And then you've applied to right. 20 people who've read your work. It may not 
get picked, but there might be four of them who are like, I love that play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find somewhere and they're going to follow. And I also find the relationships are so long term that you don't know where three or four years they're going to say, oh, I read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's actually happened. That's happened to me a, a couple of times where I, I, I met people who had read a play that I submitted for something years ago. And I had no, you know, like, I don't know who's reading it. <laughs> um, I remember this one guy was like, yeah, I fought for that play. I really wanted, you know, I, I was hoping that you get, you know, you never know. You're like, wow, you're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now we can, we can have a real conversation. Um, yeah. That is fantastic. And I, I wanted to ask another, that's great. That's like, that's a great conversation and a place to end. But I also wanted to ask because I saw something on social media about you doing a workshop or something to that effect. It's interesting. I mean, that if that's what you're talking about, that workshop was with um, Global Voices Theater, which is in London. And they were supposed to do a play of mine that obviously they weren't able to do because of the pandemic. And they asked if I would create a workshop that would allow people to still engage with that play. And I you know, looking back on the body of my work, I realized, oh, I, you know, I don't think of myself as writing historical drama, but I, I guess I kind of do. But a lot of the stories that I've written is because people don't know these stories and they're important. And, you know, I come from a community that that's been marginalized and, and I thought, oh, well, I could, I could teach a workshop about that. You know, it's, it's a form of social activism and it's, um, and it's a very specific, um, for me, kind of focus as a dramatist. And, and it was amazing. I had students literally from all over the world, you know, from the Philippines, from Hong Kong, India, uh, Hawaii, and they were all writing these amazing plays about their communities and, and things that had that um, historical events in their communities or historical figures that had been suppressed. Um, and it was, it was really uh, extraordinary, the, the experience of it. It's amazing. And when you're thinking about writing something that's that scale, how do you enter into it? <laughs> um, what is the saying? Like, how do you eat an elephant? Something like that one, one bite at a time. That's... <laughs> one bite of, you know, just bit by bit. I mean, for me, writing um, this trilogy, well, first of all, I didn't know it was going to be a trilogy until I was halfway through the first play. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to need to write another play. Um, and, I, you know, I started with, with research, research, research. And for me, it wasn't until I f figured out who my protagonist was, I, I needed to find one person whose story I was going to tell. And I, and I didn't necessarily want it to, to be one of the historical figures because I wanted the play to center around women. Um, so, you know, I knew Toussaint Louverture was going to be a character in the play and, and Jean-Jacques de Saline, but until I found um, Cecile, when I, when I found that, that character in my head, then it just became about telling her story as someone who was part of this historical event. And, and so that's what worked for me. Oh, thank you for that. That was great. Really glad we got to connect and I was glad to hear, you know, it's interesting when somebody wants to write about their cultural history. I love that she is committed to that. And I liked at the end when she talked about her workshop and just, getting into, you know, you want to write about an entire revolution and you find that one personal kernel into a story. And I think it was the same thing we talked about when talking about doing research and you go down that rabbit hole and then you find that one kernel, that one thing that you relate to that makes it personal for you, even though you're telling a historical story and it just opens the door. And I thought that was great because I think it starts, you know, you can't write about something so huge without writing the personal. And, and the specificness of it is what's going to capture that. Or at least for me, it felt like a great way to start because I've talked to a couple of people lately who want to write really large stories and big canvases. And, and it's nice to find a thing like what excites you, what connects you to it, 
what can get you into the story and just know that the rest of that landscape is going to come with it. And I thought that was, it was a lovely conversation. I'm glad to know her better. And, um, but I'm also just really glad that we're at the, you know, that we're hitting a year point and it feels like there's hope. I, 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 I hope everybody is feeling that. I hope you're getting the sense that like we're going to be able to come together more frequently in greater numbers and with ease. I know that's probably legitimately six months away, but at least in the warmer weather, we'll be able to do it. We'll be able to see each other more in person in some form outdoors and otherwise and um and again keep creating you know keep doing what you're what we're doing i'm really amazed at how much when i look at the year how much not only the farm has achieved but just so many people in the community and the colleges we work with and other artists and making new plays and just continue to be inspired by our community so i'm grateful for that and i hope you've enjoyed uh, the conversation today and uh, if you have tell someone about it share it rate us on Apple Podcast, that five-star rating does help, and it's really nice in the pandemic to know that more people are listening. So with that, we're out.